Christ's resurrection, as we read that in Luke 24. Luke 24, and we'll read the verses 13 to 35. So Luke 24, from verse 13, there we read the word of God. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began travelling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognising him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word, in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, It is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him they did not see. And now we focus on mainly on the following verses, verse 25 to 27. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses, And with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And we'll continue to read to verse 35. And they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he were going further. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening. And the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour 
and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognised by them in the breaking of the bread. Let us pray for the preaching. Thank you, Father, for your word that is true and certain. In a world full of Satan's lies, open our eyes and ears so that we may receive and understand what you want to say to us this morning and that we may accept it in faith. Equip your servant to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ boldly and faithfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what an experience it must have been for the disciples and the other followers to see the Lord Jesus again after his resurrection. The Lord is there again. He talks to them. He eats and drinks with them. What joy. Would it not be great to see the Lord Jesus with our own eyes? Yes, sometimes we can be a bit jealous of those Christians of the early church who experienced Christ's physical presence. And we didn't think would it be lovely to see him with our natural eyes. Wouldn't that make it a lot more easier to believe in him and to be on fire for him? Well, beloved, in the history of our text, mention is made of burning hearts. Would your heart not burn with excitement if you were to meet the Lord Jesus? But how do you get burning hearts? How does the Lord get the hearts of those two men from Emmaus? to burn within them? Is it through his appearance? Is it through miracles, signs? Through a demonstration of power? Well, let's have a closer look at our text. When I preached to you, Christ reveals himself through the scriptures. Christ reveals himself through the scriptures. And we consider two points. Firstly, why he reveals himself. And secondly, how he reveals himself. Yet there they go. The two men from Emmaus. Followers of Jesus. But they do not stay with the other disciples. During the afternoon of the day of Christ's resurrection, they leave Jerusalem to go back to 
Emmaus. They walk away from the reports that are doing the rounds that day. The reports from the women and from Peter about the empty tomb. And the report from the women that they had seen angels who said that Jesus lives. They do not believe the women. They leave Jerusalem. Their dream is over. They saw Jesus as a great prophet. They followed him. They hoped that it was he who would deliver Israel. But then he was crucified. It's now the third day since it took place. Any hope of revival can now be abandoned. They will have to accept Jesus' death as a reality. And so these followers of Jesus leave Jerusalem on the way to Emmaus. Sad. Disappointed in their expectation. Confused. Distressed. They were pious men. They were among the faithful in Israel who expected the coming of the Messiah. Followers of Jesus. Why then are they so sad and distressed on the day of Jesus' resurrection? Well, the Lord Jesus makes this clear to us and to them. As a true shepherd, Jesus seeks out his scattered and confused sheep. He joins them on the way to Emmaus. As they discuss everything that had happened, suddenly he's there and he walks with them. However, he does not allow them to recognise him. He holds, so to speak, a veil before their eyes so that they do not recognise him. As people who followed Christ, they would normally have known his face, figure and voice. Yet they don't recognise him now. Their eyes are blinded. Why does the Lord Jesus do this? Why does he not immediately make himself known to them? Why doesn't he say, yes, it's I, the Lord Jesus? Then he would have immediately taken away their sadness. But Jesus doesn't do this. These two disciples must first be taught from the scriptures. They must first learn to see the things that happened to him in light of the scriptures. They must discover that scripture itself refers to his death and resurrection. That instruction is necessary so that these disciples and we would understand what Christ's redemptive work is all about. This instruction must not be hindered by all kinds of emotions 
that would be released at a recognisable appearance of Jesus. Christ wants to instruct them without distraction so that they may all the more realise what he is saying. These men, you and I, must know that the surety of our faith does not rest on a physical encounter with the risen Lord, but it rests on the reliability of the scriptures. And that these men see Jesus is at that moment not so important. What needs to happen first on this big day of Christ's resurrection is that they believe the scriptures. And the Lord Jesus focuses on that. This also becomes the rule for us New Testament church. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed on the basis of scripture. And thus we must first go to the scriptures. And from this you get to know our Lord Jesus and his redemptive work. As a true pastor, the Lord gets the conversation going. He allows them to express the concerns of their hearts. It appears that they are struggling with the reality of Jesus' suffering and death. And that governs them so strongly that they can't look beyond that. It makes them oblivious and blind to everything else. So they don't, so that the possibility of a resurrection escapes them completely. Even though Jesus had said that he would rise on the third day. Well, something similar can happen to us. How do we react when we experience something dreadful? It then easily starts governing us. We then easily lose perspective. Everything then becomes dark and gloomy. No matter what God writes in the Bible about the suffering and glory of his children. No, we easily focus on just that one thing. That thing that's troubling us. The misery in this life our disturbed relationships, our financial insecurity, or our health issues. Well, Christ breaks through that sinful short-sightedness and blindness. O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Painful words. But sometimes it's necessary to be addressed in that way. Oh, foolish ones, you fools. This does not refer to a lack of mental capacity. 
There's not much you can do about that. And you can't blame anyone for that. No, foolish here means that they do not make good use of their minds. You do not pay proper attention. You disregard the scriptures with hearts that are slow to believe all that the prophet spoke. Yes, you do believe some things that the prophet spoke, perhaps many, but not all. Not what they said about the suffering and death of the Messiah. Your confusion and sadness about the Messiah is your own fault. You fail to take all scripture into account. You do not want to believe all of scripture. And that's why you also speak, as you did just now, we thought, we hoped. But the word that you should have spoken during this day doesn't come up in your mind. Namely, we knew that he would rise again. For according to scripture, he had to suffer and die and rise again on the third day. Yes, it would have been possible if only you believed all the prophets had spoken. But now you're talking about things that have happened in these days as a huge problem. But now you're grieving instead of rejoicing. But now you're at a loss instead of being sure. Beloved, we can relate to this foolishness and slowness of heart. Why is there sometimes so little joy of faith? Why are our hearts often not burning with enthusiasm for Christ? Is it often not because of our sluggishness to believe? Because we fail to take all of Scripture seriously and to believe it all. Yes, you may read the Bible regularly, but do you set your heart on it? There are so many things you can talk about, but do you also understand and accept the simple message of Scripture? The unity, the completeness of Scripture, the golden thread that runs through all of Scripture. In the Scriptures, the Lord Jesus himself comes to you. He introduces himself to you. He stands before you in the Scriptures. Do you see it? How do you experience it? Does the message make me happy? Or are you sceptical about it? And think to yourself, yes, that's all well said and done. But what about my situation? What about all the misery in this world? Etc. Oh foolish ones. 
and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. To believe everything that's in the Bible. Don't be foolish. Don't be slow of heart. But embrace the whole Bible. And believe everything that Christ has revealed in it about himself and his work of redemption. Rejoice in the Lord in the fact that you're safe with him for time and eternity. Yes, it may be clear why Jesus does not begin with comfort but with rebuke. If he had immediately made himself known as the Lord Jesus, he would indeed immediately have taken away their sorrow. But then he would not have addressed the cause of their sorrow and perplexity. Then they could be deluded in thinking that they themselves are not the cause of their sorrow. Thus they would have remained equally slow to search and believe the scriptures. But now, they're not only freed from their sorrow, but they're also freed from their sluggishness and foolishness. In verse 26, the Lord Jesus mentions what's at stake here. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory? Christ's suffering and death, that's what blinded them. It was for, for them the end of their expectation. It doesn't fit the image they had of the Messiah. And that such suffering would be a condition for his glory did not occur to them at all. Well, Christ makes them think about this very thing. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and thus enter into his glory? that the Christ would receive power and glory. That's what they had read in the scriptures. Even though they had all sorts of misconceptions about it. But that the Messiah first had to suffer and be killed, that's something they did not understand at all. They did not want to hear about it. However, Christ points out that according to Scripture, this was a divine requirement. It was necessary. Why? Well, to take our place, to free us from the guilt and power of sin, to reconcile us to God. And only in that way could the Messiah attain his glory. 
these words shed a totally different light on everything that happened to Jesus. Then the cross is no longer a breaking point or the end of all expectation. No, then there are new prospects of life again and glory. And then the Lord Jesus opens the scriptures for them. He reveals himself through the scriptures. That's the second point. How he reveals himself. Christ begins with the first five books of Moses and continues with the prophets and interprets to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Not just what it says about his suffering. Yet he will have paid special attention to that, to those passages that speak of his suffering as the path to glory. For, for example, Genesis 3 verse 15, which speaks of the suffering of the seed of the woman who will be bruised by the seed of the serpent. Psalm 22, which speaks of being forsaken by God, but which ends with the words of victory. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Posterity will serve him. Or Psalm 118, which we sang this morning, which speaks of the stone which the builders rejected, but which became a chief cornerstone. And without a doubt, Jesus will also have quoted from Isaiah 53, that well-known passage about the suffering servant of the Lord, where his suffering and death is described in its deepest significance. He was suffered for our iniquity. A man of sorrows, despised and rejected by man. But when we also read those beautiful words, that he, when he has rendered himself as a guilt offering, will see his offspring and will prolong his days, and that the Good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. So not just suffering, but also resurrection and glory. And what about all those references in the Old Testament to the Passover lamb, the scapegoat, the copper serpent, the sacrifices, you name it. The Lord shows that the whole Old Testament speaks of him, of his redemptive work, of his suffering and glory. Yes, beloved, how wonderful it would have been for those disciples to receive biblical instruction from the mouth of our highest prophet and teacher, Jesus Christ. 
from the mouth of him who is at the same time the content of the scriptures. No wonder that their hearts started burning within them as he walks with them through the scriptures. No teacher can be compared to him. And by opening the scriptures, he reveals himself so clearly before their eyes that they'll never forget. From scripture it is clear that his way to glory had to lead through the depths of suffering. It was not, it could not occur in any other way. This was the way, the program Father and Scripture prescribed for him. From the prophets and all the Scriptures, he interpreted the things concerning himself. Yes, all. There is a tendency to accept from Scripture that which is pleasing to hear. That which we can easily understand and relate to. And which doesn't imply suffering. That's what Cleopas and his friend did. Yes, they did expect a king and glory. But no suffering, no cross, no death. They closed their eyes and minds to it. And thus they were perplexed by his death and by the rumour of his resurrection. They did not realise that glory must be preceded by suffering and that the suffering must end in glory. This is what the Lord now teaches them. He teaches them to understand the content of Scripture. That he is therefore our Saviour. Not only because he lives, but because he was dead and now lives. That's why we rejoice in our Saviour. Brothers and sisters, we can also tend to read scriptures selectively. We do not want to hear of suffering and cross. Not for Christ, nor for ourselves. Suffering and cross, what does it remind us of? It reminds us of sin and guilt. And who wants to hear about sin and guilt? We rather hear of power and glory. But suffering is the way to glory. For Christ. That's how he became our king. In this way, we could become his subjects. Bought by his precious blood. Through suffering to glory. This now also applies to us, children of God. If we suffer with Christ, we will also be glorified with him. 
Romans 8 verse 17. After Christ's resurrection and the outpouring of his spirit, we love to hear of Christ's glory and power. Yes, we want to experience something of that power of Christ. His power that radically changes hearts and lives. Yes, after Pentecost, many people just want to hear of beautiful things. Of new life and glory. Illness, suffering and death don't fit in that picture. And that's why the health and wealth movement can be so attractive. But in this way, one does not accept everything that God's word says. You do read the Bible selectively and close your eyes to the suffering of the present age and the suffering also of God's children. To the reality that we too come to glory via suffering. Suppose Jesus had immediately made himself known to the men from Emmaus. Would they then really have understood what it was all about? Would they have been excited and happy? Yes, they would have been. But would they have understood the full reason for happiness for a Christian? Would they have understood that he had to die for their and our sins? Suppose that Christ would today let you experience all sorts of exciting things. Would only give you health and prosperity. Would you then really understand the depth and riches of his redemptive work? Would you then really be convinced of the seriousness of your sin and of the greatness of your deliverance from that sin? On the day of his resurrection, Christ opens the scriptures and he binds his church to the scriptures. There you find the basis for the assurance and joy of your faith. Christ does not immediately make himself known to the men of Emmaus. He first leads them to the scriptures and goes with them through the scriptures. In it, they can encounter the Lord Jesus. In it, you can encounter the Lord. We truly are interested in him. We celebrate Christ's resurrection, not just today, but every Lord's Day, when we gather around the word of God and praise and glorify him.
We do this with an open Bible. There is no other and better way of celebrating Christ's resurrection. Many people want to reverse the order. First, you want to experience the power of Christ's resurrection. And then you're prepared to believe. Instead of simply believing what the scriptures say about the Lord Jesus. Do you want to experience Christ? Then you must first open the scriptures. Listen to the proclamation of him who died and now lives. Therefore go back to the word. Do not be jealous of those who had seen the Lord Jesus physically. In his conversation with the men from Emmaus, Jesus prepares you for it. To look to the scriptures. You must live by faith and not by sight. Therefore, on the way to Emmaus, he first opened the scriptures and revealed himself through scripture. And when their eyes were opened to recognize him, he immediately disappeared. In this history, the Lord has also made clear how he creates burning hearts. Cleopas and his friend admit, while he opened to us the scriptures on our way, our hearts were burning within us, burning with wonder and amazement. How do you expect to get burning hearts? Hearts that are on fire for the Lord Jesus? By meeting him physically? Through all sorts of wonders and signs? No, by opening the scriptures. You don't need to see Christ to have burning hearts. Christ's physical presence is not necessary for that. You now have the complete word of God. The Old and the New Testament scriptures. Those scriptures speak about Christ. Christ reveals himself to you through it. And that's where you encounter Christ. We encounter his power and glory. The gospel is after all a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Therefore go to the scriptures. Submit yourself to the whole of scripture. That the scriptures enlighten your hearts and minds and place Jesus Christ before you. Embrace those words in faith. And what a difference that makes in a daily life. Then our hearts will be burning for him. Like the hearts of those men from Emmaus. You'll be on fire for Christ. Amen. Let us thank the Lord and pray.
Father, thank you for your word that is so rich and full. That word that speaks to us of Jesus Christ and his redemptive work. Help us to see Christ in the scriptures. Free us from short-sightedness and from a tendency to focus on favourite passages of scripture. Grant that we all treasure the unity and the completeness of scripture. And believe not just parts, but all that you have revealed to us in Scripture. And we thank you that we now also have the New Testament revelation, which makes the Scriptures so much richer and clearer and fuller. Bless our reading and study of your word. And grant with that work your power, the power of your spirit, so their hearts may be on fire for you and your kingdom. Let your word change and direct our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.